everybody. Welcome to Studio B, our weekly podcast. I am your host, Pastor Marcus. I am excited, super excited today to have a very, very, very special guest in the studio today joining us, uh, the one and only Pastor Lawrence Scott, or should I say Dr. Lawrence Scott, uh, who just completed his doctoral program at the... Um, Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the great friends of the ministry, son in the ministry, doing some exciting work, senior pastor of Harvest Point Fellowship in Pearland, Texas. Man, thank you for coming by the studio. No pressure. This is the first podcast, so you are the official first guest of Studio B, man, but thank you for coming by. Thank you for having me, man. This is a um, great vision and mission for this um, studio, and uh, just happy to be a part of it. That's a good word, man. Well, today we got a very exciting uh, podcast, man. This is something that I wanted our brother Lawrence Scott to speak on. We're going to be talking about how culture influences Christianity or vice versa. Yeah. Um, is there a, a war right now going on between the culture and Christianity? How do we merge these two different worlds together and make it work for practical believers? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, whenever we have this type of conversation, I always like to start with defining kind of what we're talking about because culture. Um, when you say culture, it can mean different things to different people. So when I think in terms of culture, I'm thinking in terms of um, the various habits, uh, social institutions, language uh, that is peculiar to a particular group of people, right? And then you add stuff like uh, ethnicity and the nuances that come with that. Um, And so when I talk culture, I'm talking about basically, um, you know, how we do what we do whether it be American culture, culture in the South of this country, mm-hmm. um, African-American South culture. So there's different nuances. But again, how we engage society and how we um, you know, deal with other people with our language and habits and stuff like that. So when I think about that broad, broad um, definition of culture, um, and then you think about the church, to your point, uh, at times um, the broader culture uh, especially that which we might consider secular culture, uh, often uh, does have uh, impact on the church. But the question is, for the church is, um, you know, how do we engage culture in a healthy mm-hmm. way? Because mm-hmm. it's not like because you're the church, you don't exist in culture. You know what I mean? Like you stop being in this country or you stop being in this state. You stop being a part of this people group. There is a healthy way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what they a good biblical view of who we are as believers, it helps us to engage. And so when you talk about practical ways, um, one of the good biblical stories that I think about is Daniel, right? Because Daniel says something in chapter one where you see a person who has a relationship with God, who now is in a situation where he has to uh, deal with the culture around him. Mm -hmm. The Babylonians are in charge, and so, uh, you know, they're running the spot. King Nebuchadnezzar is doing his thing. He has a certain type of education system in place, uh, a certain type of way of living. Um, But what Daniel had to decide is, um, where do I draw the line? And I think for every believer in every local church, that's kind of how we have to engage. It's, It's saying, hey, I recognize that as the church, we don't, exist outside of these things, right? We still live in same in the same community with everyone else. But where do I draw the line? For Daniel, he's like, I'm not eating the king's meat. Mm. Man, I go to the school. In fact, change my name. And my partners. All our names change. But I ain't eating from that table though. Mm. And for us, that's what we have to say. It's a way to engage and be um here but not be of it. Right. And so I think practical ways to engage culture start with us under starts with us understanding, hey, 
we could be in the midst of everything, but where do you draw the line? Where, where, uh, where do the, some things that, that happen in culture press against your faith and who you believe God uh, says that you are and what God expects and be willing to stand on that? And I think once you're able to do that, there are a number of ways to engage in a very uh, specific way. So, Scott, let me ask you a question. So then in this current culture that we find ourselves in now, uh, you're hearing this kind of thing of that's your truth, that's my truth. We all have these different versions of truth. So you have an outside world that is pressing into the fundamental, traditional truths of Christianity. You consider yourself to be a progressive pastor, preacher. What what would you define yourself as? Yeah, I, I, I tend to think of uh, myself when it comes to how I lead in the local church as one that um, used the term progressive. I, I think I can roll with that. Um, but whatever term you use, I always try to make sure that it doesn't include compromise. Mm. So I can be sensitive to what's happening around us and try to be connected to uh, pop culture in a sense, be aware of it. Um, without compromising who I am or trying to compromise what God has said, right? And I think that's the, again, going back to that line. Like I could, I know all the stuff, you know, that's going on around us, but without compromise. So how do you toe that line considering we're living in a world right now where there's so many seeker-friendly churches? Yeah, yeah. Well, we have to balance uh, ministry based on what the culture is expecting of the church. And so yeah. how do you, in a, in a growing ministry, especially a ministry like yours, and even just a ministry in, in general, how do you toe that line without casually stepping over it? Yeah, I, I think you have to be clear about what who you are and what you're doing. And what I mean by that is, even in that seeker-sensitive type of space, um, and, and for those who don't know what that is, it's a, uh, I guess, method of doing church or the local church where the idea is uh let me let us take down which uh those things that are distinctives for the local church in order to be more appealing to a broader audience and so rather than people walking in experiencing worship let's make it a concert Mm -hmm. rather Mm -hmm. than us Mm -hmm. having symbols and things that are specific to the faith let's move that because it might be a barrier to a person who's far from god so the idea was let's make it so that everybody rushes through the front door because we've we've lowered the bar we've lowered the bar yeah come on talk to us and because we've lowered the bar everybody's in here but what happens is the same thing you do to get them you got to keep doing it because what happens in that that attempt and the idea was we get everybody through the door seeker friendly and then at one point we do the bait and switch on them boom gospel yeah 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 yeah, yeah you yeah, hear now yeah gospel yeah yeah, yeah. and folk like all right i hear you but what a concert at though and then you hit them with some deep uh, theological teaching or doctrine they're like nah 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 fam what was the stuff y'all was doing when i got here right because the idea is if you do seeker friendly you got to keep doing it right it's like it's like when you first get into a relationship Right. You know, how it is when you date somebody and you pull out all the good stuff. Yeah. 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 You pull out all the Come styles. on in here. You pull out all yeah. the good stuff. You got all the good stories. You yeah, tell yeah, all your yeah. best stuff. And then eventually you show them something else. And they're like, wait a minute. But who you who who was the person I went to get the popcorn, shrimp and lemonade with? Because that, that's not who you are today. It's because you did all this stuff up front. And by the time they figured out what was really going on, it's like, nah, I'm, I'm not with that. We, we need to uh, either bring some of that back or be clear clear about where we are right now. And so that seeker-friendly model doesn't work because it's not sustainable, and it doesn't produce the discipleship that needs to happen. Okay, so in that same vein then, so if you're looking at the church right now, the church is a traditional church for the most part. Mm. The foundations of the, of the Christian faith are, are in place. But you have a culture right now, a generation coming up under that, 
that does not hold those same truths to be evident. Yep. They don't hold the same values that the people going before them have done. Mm-hmm. So how do you draw in this younger generation that is not necessarily church friendly? They mm-hmm. don't want the organized religion. They don't believe in all of those different nuances that the church has been established on. How do you reach out to that people group yeah, without I, compromising? I think you have to ask, ask why. So, so when you got a young person, and let me preface by saying this, because I don't want to make it seem like, especially when we talk about millennials, right? Because millennials are an easy target. Just, just saying millennial, it's like, oh, yeah, those millennials, right? And, but I think it's healthy for us to say, why? Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not into the same type of traditional thing. Why? Right? Because if we go keep it all the way 1,000, Millennials are a product of a previous generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like they just yeah. popped up. Oh, yeah. millennial. Yeah, yeah. Nah, yeah. that's yeah. Them you, your kids. Your product. Yeah. It, it, right. Yeah. So, so, so I go back and I say why, and then I, I remember that I was that generation before too, where people were saying about my generation, oh, you fill in the blank, you generation Xers or whatever, fill in the blank, and so um, the first question I ask is why. Like, I want to know why you feel like this. And even going back to what you said earlier about uh, my truth, your truth, uh, this is my truth. I, I like to ask a person, what does that even really mean? I'm not going to disregard it. I just want to know, what, what do you mean when you say that? Are you saying that truth is subjective? Mm-hmm. Because if you are, then what you're admitting also is that every person gets to create their own truth. Therefore, there is no objectivity and we're all just making it up as we go. If you're willing to say, hey, this is my experience, if, if by my truth you mean this is my experience and it's true to me, we can run with that. But know that truth exists outside of you. Mm-hmm. Know that there is something that's greater than you that defines right and wrong, right? Um, and we all have to be willing to acknowledge that because it's that greater truth that's going to um, help us not think just about my own history and experience as the definition, but something that draws us to uh, a truth that's bigger than we are. But I start with going back to, you know, the millennial piece of that next generation. I ask why. And I think when we ask why, we have an opportunity to address those issues to connect them back to that objective truth. So what if they don't know the why? Well, I, I, well, if, if a person says, hey, I'm not with this church stuff. And then I say to them, Why? If they can't articulate why they are against it, I would challenge that position. Like, is it, is it, are you just saying it because that's what everybody else is saying? Mm. I, I would ask them, hey, just think about why you arrived here. And I'm willing to believe that they may have experienced or seen something that has helped to get them there. For example, um, a person might say, you know what, I ain't with that church stuff because when I saw it in my parents, I ain't believe them. Yeah. Like you, we got. See, here's the thing: we got to go ahead and own some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, again, it doesn't take the responsibility off of that generation. But I always ask why, because I'm looking inward first, right? If, if a young person say, "I ain't with that church stuff," because I saw my parents play games with church, I saw them shout on Sunday. Because on Monday, come on in here. Yeah. And that inconsistency produces something in the next generation. It just does. Or uh, maybe a person's faith has always been tied to the person and not God. Now, that's a good word. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I walk with that one a little bit. So, so, so <laughs> grandma and them, you know, she kept me in church. But then grandmama died. So, what, so what's keeping you now? Mm-hmm. Or, or what if the person I put my trust in has disappointed me? 
Now I'm disappointed in God. You've never seen any person go to a, a jazz concert and say, man, that saxophone killed it. Mm. That trumpet off the chain. No, no, no. They, they say the person who played the saxophone because they get the idea of instrument, instrument player. But when it comes to church, rather than seeing us as the instrument and seeing God as the player who uses us to his glory, people get caught up in the instrument. And so when the instrument breaks down, oh, see, that's how it is. is. Yeah, I'm a church because the instrument broke. So then in that same vein, so if you're looking at this younger generation right now that is searching for relevance, okay, we're in in a generation right now where young people are searching. You've been able to do a great job in your ministry and bringing in a younger generation um, with the teaching that you provide. How do you, or is there such a thing as making the church relevant for this culture? Yeah. So again, in, in an effort to define terms or just to be clear, some might say when you say relevant, some folks say, oh, compromise. They think mm-hmm. as soon as you say it, mm-hmm. oh, we got to be the church. Mm-hmm. So when I think about being relevant, I'm not thinking compromise. I'm thinking uh, being able to address current cultural issues. For example, a relevant church or uh, one of the ways to be relevant is even as we've been dealing with this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like if you got your preaching calendar set up. And for the last 12 weeks, you ain't said nothing about what's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You may not be relevant. Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's that ability to be on top of what's happening in the culture. And so for us, and, you know, I think part of it is, you know, I'll be 40 this year. So a lot of people in our church are within my age group. Yeah. So 10 years younger, 10 years older older is usually a large demographic in most churches based on the leadership, Right. Um, But being intentional with that younger demographic and saying, hey, uh, you are valuable to the kingdom like uh, the Lord. The Lord is using you and and creating opportunities for people in that age group to really be a part of ministry for real. What we find right now, if you look around this city specifically, you will find that there are a number of young adult Bible studies that have started people who actually may go to a local church. Some who have left that space, but they start a Bible study in such and such house and this and this. And they have their own study with just young adults, just millennials. And part of it is because maybe nobody is asking the why. Maybe they don't find opportunities to serve and lead in the local church. Um, and maybe there's just a generational barrier that exists. Another part, not to say that it's all everybody else's fault, is some of them. Or to you know to your earlier point about not being a part of the traditional setting in church, uh, may may not be interested in church discipline or mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. Or, or following a certain uh, healthy protocol. Um, and so there are a number of factors that play into it. Um, but as a local church, what can we do? Create opportunities. Like if everybody in your leadership team and any church can assess this, if everybody on your leadership team is uh, older, then you've you've communicated whether you wanted to or not that young adults. You don't really have space to provide leadership here, even if the folks who lead are in quality folks. If there's no space for a person who's in that age group to lead, then you've communicated. Mm, we good. Right. And, and so um, easy way to assess whether or not you are creating a culture that's inviting them. And I think for us, uh, we have people who are from various generations who, who lead in our local church. And I think it helps us uh, draw in that crowd to be a part of the conversation. Okay, so, so, so Pastor Scott, so in this era that we're in right now, in this generation where 
social media has really just kind of taken over yes, sir. what's going on. So we know the young people don't get their news from the news sources like we, the previous generation, did. They're getting their news sources from social media, Twitter, Facebook, IG, and all that other good stuff. So how do you right now, how do we as a church engage that part of social media and use it to the benefit and to the glory of God without getting caught up in the wave that is social media? Yeah, you know, it's that's an interesting question because of where we are today. If you ask that same question three months ago, my answer might be slightly different. Mm. The pandemic has forced everybody to be on social media, like for real, for real. That's a church I grew up in. Um, you couldn't find them on the Internet. I mean, I- Internet, what? <laughs> what is what? the Internet? <laughs> what is this Internet you speak of? Man, I tune in every Sunday. They got the morning worship on that thing, mm. evening worship. I get notifications about Bible study. I know who on the sick and shut-in list, right, because they are engaging this platform. Uh, And so part of it is I think this new environment has forced the church, even us, like we were were pretty progressive, but we've always focused in what happens at the local church. I wasn't trying to necessarily have internet ministry per se. I was like, who who, who has the Lord sent here? And let's focus on this. So I would say the way that we engage it is by recognizing that it is a supplement. Okay. Can I say that again? Yeah, let's say that. Supplement. It's never going to be the meat and potatoes, right? But you don't it's, think that there's a place that that's going to that? I think that when it comes to what the local church is supposed to be, it requires, Acts 2, mm-hmm. the engagement of the believer. Mm-hmm. It, it requires you showing up with your spiritual gifts, me showing up with my spiritual gifts. It, it, it requires us to be in a place where we can be edified and grow together. There's something about God calling us together. As an individual, I am part of the church. Collectively, we are the church. So that's always going to be with the this case. current pandemic with COVID-19. Here's my thoughts on it. It's going to create an area of distrust among the believers in the body of Christ, because now as people start to eventually start coming back to worship and gathering back into large places and you hear somebody cough. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. Now we're no longer shaking hands or engaging in, you know, uh, uh, uh Fellowship hugs. I mean, I think it's just going to create this era of distrust among the body. And then this whole thing about social media and being able to sit in my living room and watch uh, uh, services and even pay my tithes and offerings online. Mm -hmm. That's a very good convenience for me. Yep. So I believe it's going to is it, so you're saying that it's a supplement, which I definitely agree with. But is that going to be something that a lot of people are going to look at moving forward? And so as we get back to a sense of normalcy. Do you believe that this Internet phase that we're in right now is going to be something that's going to be continued in the future? Uh, Yes and no. So, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, Even though I think it's a supplement, it's a necessary um, medium to reach people. It is a uh, a place where it's very convenient and people can do as you just talked about. And so in the initial regathering phase, and this, this is the part of the no, uh, I do think everything you just said is going to happen. But over time, assuming uh, they find some type of antibiotic cure or whatever, assuming, mm-hmm. right? I know there's the strand changes and all that, <laughs> whatever. Assuming people get comfortable with what they find to resolve um, this. Uh, as time passes on and school starts back up, I think school start, starting back up is a key marker because uh, even though they've laid out some expectations as to how school will look, eventually they will adjust that. And so my point is, over time, people will long to get back. Uh, in fact, you can see it when people, for example, get an opportunity to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. 
Now, you know, like I do, COVID all in these streets. <laughs> the leadership is saying, hey, y'all be this far apart. Better, you know, but, but what they doing? They all on top of each other because there is an innate thing. Well, first of all, that's irresponsible. But secondly, um, there is still something innate in us that drives us to community. To community. And that's always going to be there. And so I think it's going to take time for us to get back to that normal place. But this, there is a new normal. I was telling some of the folks that I was meeting with online recently, like we could have been doing some of this. Like I, I lead a men's group on Thursday nights. Uh, and obviously I have more men who show up online than actually showed up in person. We could have done that a long time ago. And so as we come out of this, we're, we're saying, hey, where can we be effective by using this? W- what are some opportunities to to reach people in a convenient way and not sh- shame the Internet? Oh, you, you, you know, you folks on the Internet is not. No. It can be a supplement, um, but we can never forsake that local gathering. And if we create an atmosphere that says the local gathering is not important, then I would ask you to make that clear in the Bible. Show me the text Mm -hmm. that points that out, because I think you will find it will be challenging for you to make that case. But again, it's a medium. Being relevant includes using the platform, and it's a very effective way to reach people, and, and churches ought to use it to their advantage. So to that point, so just like I've, um, in the midst of this whole COVID-19 pandemic, we know that some businesses, because they have not been able to open up for the last couple of months, are not going to be able to reopen once everything gets back to where it needs to be. And in that same vein, it's going to be some churches. Yep. Um, that unfortunately are not going to be able to open up their doors once all of this stuff subsides and we start to gather again. So what do you think the long-term effect on the church uh, is in relation to how we come out of this whole pandemic? How do we move forward with this? Yeah, so, you, you know, the hard, the hard part of all this, of course, is what you just said. Businesses, churches won't be able to reopen people. I know business owners who have given everything to start their business only to find that they won't be able to make it out of this. Churches uh, who are already struggling are now like we got to shut the doors. And so there will be a long term effect because of this, um, which is unfortunate. Right. But I do think also. Things like this season spotlight at times stuff that already exists. So, for example, uh, some churches, some businesses for the first time are experiencing some difficulty because of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Other businesses, there's a large retailer, for example, that recently said they got to go bankrupt, who was very prosperous in the future. Well, when you open up their books, what you find is they were struggling financially for years, and all this thing did was accelerate them shutting down. They were, they were heading in that direction already. This accelerated it. So that happens on the positive and the negative, though. So for churches that are healthy prior to this, had great community, people who believed in the local church and were going somewhere, what they're going to find through this is acceleration. People are going to long for that community. They can't wait to be back in fam, uh, mm-hmm. fellowship. Going back to Babylon, uh, when, when the church in Gen, uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, the famous God has a plan for me. Well, you know, like I do, yeah. what was happening in that context. That Jeremiah was saying, listen, y'all finna be uh, locked up for a little bit, 70 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. You're going to be away from your homes. Watch this. You won't be able to go to the local temple. Now, when he said that, people, once they got locked down and could not go to the temple, they couldn't wait to get out. People who took advantage of it. You know how it is when you have the option to go and you don't go. Now that it's been taken away from you. Yeah. When yeah. you finally get the chance, you go like, Lord, yeah. I will never forsake yeah, that again. I got you. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so for some folks, they're going to see, I pray, revival. People are going to say, no, nah, now that we're back in good space, I can't wait to 
love on my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so for some, there'll be revival. For others, they will struggle through. And it's going to be a long-term impact. Either way, I think this season is a defining moment for the church that we will grow from. So even when a local church has to close the doors, our prayer is that there is still gospel presence in that community, which means that there has to be some revitalization, some new leadership, that it happens to the glory of God. So, so Pastor Scott, so but going back to our original point here, so when you're looking at the church right now, I'm just going to ask you kind of a point-blank question. Sure. Is the traditional church dead? I don't think so. Um, and again, I hope you notice this, the, my tone. I'm pretty optimistic with the church in, in, in all regards, no matter what goes on in culture. And I would say the traditional church is not necessarily dead. I do think, think that some things need to die within that context, within any context. There, there are some traditions that, you know, let's yeah. go ahead and take this one out back and shoot it. Okay. You know okay. what I mean? So, okay. so, so there right. are some things, right, when, and, and specifically things that get in the way of God. There are some traditions in church that get in the way of God. Those things need to die. But the traditional church, and, and I look at it like this. Um, it is easy. Let me, can I talk about Lawrence yeah, for a yeah, second? Yeah, yeah, let's talk. La- Lawrence would have said back in 20, 2005. Lawrence might have said, man, traditional church, man, psh, I'm out. Y'all tripping over here. Um, and then um, with my progressive thinking, you know, I'm looking in spaces where people are less traditional and saying this is the way to be, this is the way to go. And then I had to sit back one day and say, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did I first hear that Jesus died? Hmm, that's traditional church. Where, where did somebody first give me this idea of Christ-centered preaching? Oh, that was that was the traditional church. Where, where did I see real community traditional church? Where, where did I see people love on each other for a traditional church? So the church itself and tradition is not bad. The question is, what are you handing down? Mm. Uh, when you look over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. The Shema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's traditional. But they were handing down to the next generation this idea that God is one. Now, any church need to hand that down. A good tradition. So I, to, to, to be clear, I wouldn't say holistically that the, the traditional church is dead or, you know, should die collectively. I do think some traditions need to, and specifically those that get in the way of people hearing from God. So in that same vein, so one of my thoughts right now moving forward is that we have, you know, one of the things, unfortunately, that is exposed in COVID-19 is I'm always telling Congress, man, beware of the table that you read from. Yes, sir. So there's a whole lot of preachers out there online right now, and everybody got a word from God. Everybody's starting the church on Facebook. Everybody's doing a Facebook live. So everybody's now a preacher. And as you're looking at this paradigm that is moving throughout our land right now, how does the church, and I don't want to use the word insulate, but how does the, how does the church protect itself um, from this onslaught of, of, of teaching that is going on outside of it? And how do we keep our people centered on first things first? How do we keep them grounded? Short answer, be in the word, be in the Bible. Um, and that's simple, but it's so real because, you know, I said to our church uh, two weeks ago, I was like, you know, the thing about this season, the good thing about this season is, as I alluded to earlier and mentioned earlier, that you get a chance to go online and see four or five different services and sermons. I, I check out Bethel's Family. I go check out Antioch Missionary Baptist Church, Galilee, uh, down the way churches I've had a relationship with over the years. Uh, and so that's the good thing, that you can see churches on my social. You, you scroll like this, church, 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 church. You know what the bad thing is? That you can see churches. <laughs> on everything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Is that, because yeah. to your point, 
The prophet just showed up. Yeah, the prophets. Yeah. He yeah. just showed up. Like, bro, where you been? And what's your prophetic word for COVID? How dare you say something about COVID? <laughs> yeah, go, you know, so so how do you insulate people from the the onslaught of all this? Be in the word. Because when you're in the word, discernment shows up. When you're in the word, you can identify false teaching. That listen, unless we're in the word, the church might fi- might move towards being cultish if they try to keep people. Right, because mm. you start saying stuff like "we're the only one that got the word." Mm. That's gonna help people not look at other stuff because we're the only people that got the word. No, you ain't the only person that got the word. Mm. Your people need to be in the word, and as believers themselves, be able to identify that which is inconsistent with God, because it's a whole lot of stuff. It's a whole lot of stuff, and you know, you know, with the prophets popping up, who you know, the, the faith healers and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I'm like, if you got, if you can go heal, go, go heal. Come on. Come on, why all these people dying from COVID? Where you at? Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. But when you're in the word, if you are a church, no matter how creative you are, stay in the word. Teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. And as you continue to teach the Bible, people will be, be able to identify what belongs to so the So to Lord. that point, what do you think right now is what uh, people are looking for in the church? What are they looking for in the church? Oh, man. Do we have the time? That's like a whole other segment. I'll say this. And again, I'm very optimistic with the church. People are genuinely looking for God. Mm. Come on it. I mean, listen, if we have learned nothing in this season, here's what COVID said. I don't care nothing about, nothing about how much money you make. Yeah. What? Your yeah. house is sitting on what hill? Man, come get this. <laughs> I, I don't care about your relationships with the yeah. people you know. Yeah. This There's something greater than you. And if your trust is in what you have, what you've done, and who you are as an individual— you will never find satisfaction. It'll never be enough. So I think when people think about the church, they genuinely want to see God. And as they want to see God, here are a few things they want to see. They want to see consistency. They, man, if you go preach it, live it. Now, are you consist- is perfection a part of consistency or are you just looking ain't, for ain't consistency? Ain't no perfection. Okay, okay, okay. So let's no, go. No, no. And, and, and here's the beautiful thing about the scripture. And this is what I love about the scripture. Now, we were in Abraham at the church the other day. And Abraham, you know scripture. Mm-hmm. Chapter 11. Come on. Man of faith. Come on. Uh, have you read his story? Yeah, he was like, okay, Genesis 12, step out on faith. My man. Genesis 13, he worked through conflict resolution with, with his, uh, his nephew. Yeah, come My on, man. Come Genesis on. 14, he, he was a guy who led victorious in battle. Genesis 15, he was declared righteous by God. Genesis 16, he slept with his wife's handmaid. Come, come talk about it. You see what I'm saying? So, so the beautiful thing about the scripture is it takes imperfect people and say, listen, your imperfection, in fact, you get over to Genesis 20, this is what God says about Abraham in verse 7. Uh, this is right after Abraham for the second time let Sarah go off to be with somebody else. Did I say that right? Yeah, come on, come on, come on. Walk heavy with it, yeah. That's the text what it says, says, Abraham said about Sarah, tell them you're my sister. Yeah. Now, if you tell them that you're my sister, they might take you. If they take you, they might sleep with you. This is Abraham, the man of faith. Yeah. But Genesis 20, verse 7, this is what the text says. God says, send his wife back because Abraham is a prophet. And what the text shows us in that moment is even in on Abraham's worst day, mm. God still saw who he created him to be. And if we can model it, model this picture of imperfect people trusting a perfect God in a real sincere way. Oh, people go be on board for that all day because they're going to walk into the church imperfect. They're going to walk into the church with brokenness and hurt. And they need to know that when they get there, there's some other people who've been broken, too. But that we're all going and trusting 
and a sovereign God. So are you referring to the um, being vulnerable as people? Because we often share, man, don't ever search for, uh, don't ever seek perfection because perfection can never be found. No. But seek to be faithful. Yes. Don't seek to be perfect. Seek to be faithful. All your flaws and all, just bring it to the table. Lay it down before God and say, hey, God, this is what I'm offering. I am offering you my heart, and I am offering to be faithful unto you. So, And one of the things that I think drives a lot of people away from the church is this idea yep. that Christians have mastered it. Right. Because we got the blood of Jesus Christ on us, we no longer sin, we no longer slip of the tongue, we think everything right, we say everything right, we do everything right. And we portray this picture of perfection. And then when reality hits, it's so shocking to people because we've walked outside of the church doors and put this picture like we got everything together. When we can just come out and say, hey, man, I trust Jesus just like the same way that you do. I go through the same issues in life that you do. But here's how I go through life effectively. And being able to convey faithfulness as opposed to perfection. I That's think it. a lot of people are looking for consistency, as you said, but they're also looking for, hey, man, this guy— wasn't always like that. And he's got a story to tell. And if he tells his story, I can connect to his story because his story is similar to mine. Right. And and I think that that's why, you know, even when I say consistency, it's like, listen, I am a person that makes mistakes. I tell the church all the time when I'm preaching through a marriage series. Come on. I'm not talking about you and your wife. Come on, I'm talking about the conversation me and the wife had this morning. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Like I just, we was arguing over the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. I barely got this message out (laughs) fighting with this woman. You see what I'm saying? But yeah, it's yeah. That, it's that reality that yeah. here's my consistency, though. I'm gonna keep trusting God. Yeah, come on. Now. I'm gonna keep being honest about my imperfections, and I'm gonna trust God. And I, and even in the seasons of my difficulty, I know God is still at work. And if we keep doing that, but it, it, to your point, it's when we present something, and we the total opposite. Yeah, come on now. Like the internet is for real, for real. So you can't be like back in the day. Let me go and talk. This, this studio B. Let's go and talk. <laughs> this studio B. Like, go ahead. Like back in the day. The preacher could get away with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Are we talking now? Yeah, come on. Come this on. Ain't, this, walk this, this after hours studio. Yeah. I'm sorry. Y'all won't remember. <laughs> um, but, 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 and so, and so people now though, bro, you try to pull that off your stuff on the internet in two days. Yeah. Now I'm not saying be right because you can be exposed. I'm saying people can easier. It's easy for people to see that type of stuff when you're not walking with consistency. So every day we show up. Uh, we trust a perfect God. We are imperfect people. We make mistakes. We will make mistakes. Grace is sufficient. Grace is not a reason to fail, but it's available when we are, when we do. And when we keep pressing in that direction, I think people will say, hey, that's a genuine thing happening at the church. And I want to be a part of that because I recognize I can't save myself. Now, Scott, last night, and, and man, we can talk all day. This is, this, this is good stuff. Uh, last night we did the men's meeting. We talked about our brother Judas. Mm. And the subheading was, there's a little bit of Judas in brother. all of us. Ain't my brother. Not there's a little brother. bit of Judas in all of us. And so when we look at Judas and we look at Peter, they both did the same thing. They just did the same thing for different reasons. Judas did it for money. Uh, Peter did it to save his life. Mm. And when you're looking at Judas, one of the things that he had a problem with was his commitment level. Of course, we already know the prophecies that led up to Judas. But when you're looking at people coming into the church, this high bar is raised. Come in, trust Jesus Christ. Levi, don't do anything that you used to do. Walk a perfect, a straight line. Do as best that you possibly can. And so we tell people to try to live right in their own strength. And we set them up for failure mm-hmm. because we're asking people to try your best mm-hmm. not to do X, Y, and Z. As opposed to allowing the Spirit of God 
to lead and guide us and rely on his strength, we are telling people through our preaching, through our teaching, and through all the things that we put out there, go out there and try your best to live right. And then people fail. And then we are the only people that shoot its wounded. Mm. So how do you bring that person in that has fallen by the wayside? And they've, they've trusted Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Yeah, so, so a couple of things. First, you know, we, we try to distinguish between legalism and moralism and what genuine faith looks like, right? But you talked about this idea of, you know, following this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that type of thing. And then when people can't meet that, they fall to the wayside. It's because probably they were given a legalistic type of approach to this relationship. But I think one of the things the church needs to focus on, and many churches do, is discipleship. Mm. Because when there's discipleship, you actually have somebody who loves the Lord walking with you. What you will find in walking with them is they're not perfect either. But again, they are trusting God so that when they have those moments of failure, uh, they're saying, God, while I recognize there are consequences to my actions, I am trusting in a God who's able to deliver me from this situation. And there is a pathway of restoration. There's a pathway uh, when, when, when I understand what repentance looks like and, and sincerely trusting him. But it's saying, hey, we are by definition imperfect. But l- listen, if you could do all this without failure, you wouldn't need God. Mm. You would be God. But because you cannot, you need you need someone who can save you and deliver you from these things. And when you're walking with a believer uh, who's walking with God, you will see that they have imperfections too, but they're trusting God with their life. And that person who otherwise might fall to the wayside will, will then say, you know what? I recognize that I'm making some mistakes. There is some change happening in my life. Things that I used to do, some of that I don't do anymore, but God is patient. God is kind. God is forgiving. God is gracious. And uh, I can make it through this season. So one of the knocks on the churches, uh, you've heard it as a pastor, I'm sure, is that the church is too judgmental. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just, you know, they they just too judgmental. Those those people will never accept me for who I am. How do we bridge that gap? And, you know, what what's the old adage, you know, come to God as you are, right? And so what's the old, how do we bridge that gap of that person that says, hey, that person will never accept me because of X, Y, and Z? Because at times, uh, Pastor Scott, the church can be very judgmental, mm-hmm. And, and put people off by this holier than thou, and pardon the expression, but this holier than thou that a lot of Christians tend to walk around with. So how do we do that? So you, going back to that question about seeker-sensitive churches, I think when you put peel all that back, there was good intent. It, the intent was to do what you just talked about, not be the church that's super judgmental and you know stops people at the door. Um, so for the church, I think... Uh, again, going back to what Daniel did, I, I think there's a path where the church has to say, listen, there are things that we will, um, as the local church, welcome folks in, no matter what you came in here with. Like, mm-hmm. bring it. Like, if you really believe God is who we say he is, yes. bring your stuff to the to this gathering. Bring bring it. Because guess what? My stuff is not as obvious as yours, but I brought my stuff, too. Mm. So bring it all here. We That doesn't mean that we affirm ungodliness. That doesn't mean that we're going to compromise what the scripture says, but we're going to trust that a God who is able to deliver me can deliver anyone. So I think the church has to be in a position where they're not at the door checking off list lists of what's what are acceptable sins and what are not. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, not no, today. Not coming in here. Not in here. Yeah. Oh, you good. We all do that. Right. But instead of saying, no, there's a gracious God who is able 
to keep us from falling. Right. And as a church, that means there will still be accountability. There still will be church discipline. There still will be uh, spaces where we are making sure that the church is protected and edified and God is glorified. But you bring all of you here, all of your drama, all your mess, all of your brokenness, all of your sins here. If we really believe who we say God is, if we really believe that type of God, then that's what we ought to expect as a local church. So we have to stop pointing fingers and whispering on our breath when we see somebody who's been walking through a path or dealing with some stuff that's different than what we dealt with and and, and see them and say, oh, I'm excited about what the Lord can do in their life and my own. Before I look at you, I got to look at myself. So then that means the church has to be patient with that individual. Oh, sure. Okay, but the church is short on patience. Sure it is. And so how do we, again, if we're short on patience because we're expecting that person now that you've come down, you've made the walk, you walk down the aisle, you've given your heart to Jesus and gave your hand to the preacher, you've done all that, but now it's been three, four, five months, and you're still doing the same thing that you did when you walked down the aisle. Okay, so where's my patience level and where's the church's patience level with that particular individual? How much time do we give them to grow? Yeah, and I think I think you have to. Well, it's not that cut and dry. Right. Every person has been through different things. And so it looks different for each person. The point is, are we going somewhere? Mm -hmm. One of the things I like to say at our church all the time is like we're going somewhere. It's it's, it's to remind people that this is not a stagnant thing. Faith, your faith journey is not stagnant. If you're not moving, you're going backwards. You know that. Yeah, that's right. So. It's not so much have I seen this observable growth in four months as it is are we being consistent with our walk and trust and prayer and scripture uh, because the Holy Spirit is available, right? God will do the transformation. And I think for us, uh, it is discernment that lets us know uh, if we are uh, pursuing a pathway that's, that, that's leaning towards growth, even if it doesn't look like that immediately. I was a youth pastor, Right. And let me tell you something, you know, there'll be times where you're talking to one of these young folks um, and you're like, man, I don't know if none of that stuff's sticking. Yeah. I don't know. And then they come back three years later. You remember four years ago, three years ago when you told me such and such, this is how it shaped this journey. Not not, not just because you said it, but what God was doing through you to give to me. And so we can't make those type of judgments based on this two weeks, three weeks, four weeks necessarily, right? Um, but it is up to us to say, you know what, if we are doing the things consistently, again, the church is still a place of accountability, still a place where we protect the saints. Uh, if we're being consistent in the things that we need to do as believers, God will cause the growth. And I think if it's a sincere journey, uh, that'll show up in the time that it needs to show up. So in this culture that we're in right now, you know, you have how many kids you got now, Scott? Six. Come on now. Did y'all hear that? We Six kids. And that's it. Six. And that's it. Amen. I got four. Amen. And I got two kids that are in college now. My oldest two are in college. One's at Prairie View. The other one's at Texas State. And I'm having conversations with my 19 and my 20-year-old about some of the stuff that they're learning inside of these classes. And some of the stuff that they're learning inside of these classes from these professors and people that they're around are antithetical to what they've learned in the home. And there's a concern for me as a father Mm -hmm. because, you know, you raise your children up in the faith. You want to point them in a direction by which you feel like God is wanting them to go. But they are bombarded in this culture every single day. And they are around people. They are hearing things, social media, TV, all the stuff that they have to deal with that are giving them contrary messages to what they've heard. How do you as a father, father of six, that is raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, what kind of things are you putting in place to try to buffer that um, that culture from coming in like that? That's a good question, man. And I think any parent 
uh, you know, wrestles with that. And, you know, your daughters are older than mine. And so your children are older than mine. And so when I hear you talk about that, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, as I pray through how I lead uh, our family, uh, those things are on, on my mind too. But I think a few things that I, we try to do is make sure that I don't delegate the total responsibility of my child being um, disciple in the Lord to the local church. Mm-hmm. It's not, now I, I pastor now, but my, you know, my children have been under other leaders. It's not just her, you know, grade school teacher at the church who has the primaries, but I have to lay some stuff down at the house to stick yeah. with them. And then yeah. ultimately I got to trust God. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's for, 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 for us parents, that's one of those spaces yeah, where we on. really have to practice what we preach. Yeah, it's like, on. listen, Dip, ha, has my child seen me make some mistakes? Yep. Um, have I tried to do a, a good job in raising them? And even with my mistakes, using it as an opportunity to teach, I've tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did I make sure that they were connected to the word? Uh-huh. Did, did I make sure they got some sound stuff around them? Did I try to protect their ears and eyes at times when I could? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Trust God. Trust God. That's it, Doc. And I think all of us can look back on our parenting journey and say, I did that wrong, did that wrong. And we can do that to it blue in the face. Um, but... Uh, ultimately, uh, when they go into these spaces, um, can we trust God to keep them? And even as an adult who has free will to make their own decisions, who are being, who are learning things outside of what we teach them, because that's part of it too. Like you teach, but other folks teach too. Mm. Um, having enough confidence in what we've laid in them um, that it'll stick and help them make some decisions. Because I don't know about you, but I was nineteen too. I was 18, too. And I remember the first time I went to college. Not the first time, but when I was in college, I took a philosophy course that blew my mind. Yeah, come on. Blew yeah. my mind. I'm like, hey, Sister Brighton, I'm going to tell me this is Sunday school. Yeah, that's right. Sister Johnson, you you slipping. <laughs> you ain't tell me about this. But um, through my own journey, I was able to reconnect back to what was taught to me as a child. And so, um, yeah, it's just really trusting God and making sure, right, that if you are in a place where you're parenting and leading now, that you are discipling your children. Mm. If 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 you if the local church is the only people speaking into the life of your children spiritual things, you've missed a step, mm. and you have a prime opportunity to to take ownership of some of that and do it well. But ultimately, you got to trust God. So, in our conversation, I've got my got my ear to the grindstone. I'm talking to a lot of young adults, a lot of millennials right now in this season, just trying to figure out what's going on. You know, to get some different ministry approaches, hear what's going on in their space, and then seeing where we can kind of fit it. And in the conversation that I just had with our kids a couple of weeks ago is, and I think it was a beneficial one, uh, Pastor Scott. I told them we came in and we lowered the expectation. Hmm. And so I had all four of my kids around the table. My wife was there, and I told them, I said, look, I want to release you from my expectations. Hmm. And releasing you from my expectations is... I'm not expecting you to go out there and be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, X, Y, and Z. Here's what I want. Here's my expectations. I want you to be a productive member of society that loves God. Mm -hmm. If that means that you don't go to college, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. If that means that you have to work this job, I'm okay with that. But as long as you're loving God and that you are a productive member of society. And so I want to lower the hedge in regards to what I'm expecting of my kids and allow God to do what God is doing in their life. And that's a trust. That's a trust journey right there. Yeah, man. Uh, that's a trust journey because all of us see our kids aiming for the stars, uh, but the reality of the fact is somebody's got to cook the food, somebody's got to take out the trash, 
somebody, and I remember my grandmother. My grandmother was the hardest working person I've ever seen in my life. She worked three, two and three jobs for most of her life. She was not a formally educated person. She bussed tables and she cooked in the kitchen for the majority of her life. But she was a productive member of society. Yeah. And she was a God-fearing woman. So when we had this meeting, I wanted to lower the standards because I don't want my kids living a life that I want them to live. That's right. Because there's no peace and no joy in that life. And so even as we're looking at bringing the church in and how do we adapt to all these different things in the culture, I believe one of the things that the traditional church, if I can put it in air quotes, should do is to lower the standard and allow God, not Mm -hmm. lower the standard, but allow God to do in the person's life what God has ordained. That's right. And then be the facilitator to help that life come to pass. Amen. I I totally agree. I had a conversation with my uh, seven-year-old son. And I'm coming down the stairs, and the brother says, Dad, I just want you to know when I get older, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to have a Ferrari and a Tesla. And I was like, well, you sure didn't learn that from me. I, I drive a Toyota Camry 2012. And um, I didn't even know he knew what a Tesla was. And I said to him, I said, hey, man, it's no knock on your aspirations for financial wealth. But here's what you need to be more important than that. Mm. Um a godly man mm. and pursue the things that God God wants you My to pursue. Goodness. You know what I mean? Just and he looked at me like, all right, dad, I just want a Tesla though. Like, but but it's this to your point, it's like the quicker we get to our children and let them know that God has a plan for them. Mm. You're created in his image, and there is something unique in you that he wants you to do. When they begin to explore this reality that, man, I all right. Yeah. Like God is doing yeah. this to your yeah. point. Yeah. It may be different than what dad wants. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of folks ain't finna say that. A lot of folks ain't finna say, uh, you you don't have to go to school and uh, no, you go go. Now, yeah. you could, now if you don't make it, that's one thing. <laughs> but you go you go. go. <laughs> um, but again, it's like, hey, what is the Lord doing in your life? And that that's perfect. And so when you're looking at how we bridge this culture, man, one of the things that I wanted to um, and I want to thank everybody for joining in. I want to end this with this one question that I want to get your insight on. Um, you are um, par excellence in teaching the Word of God. Your teaching style and what God is doing in your life is is just second to none. I greatly appreciate what God is doing in your life. And you said a couple things in our previous segment about the answer to uh, grounding people in the faith is reading the Word. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it sounds very very simple. Mm-hmm. But trying to edge people or direct people to getting their inspiration from the word is sometimes very difficult. Sure. And just like Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Mm. Or if you're doing this and doing that and there is no change. So how do you practically, in this culture, in this culture where everything is available and all these different voices are in their head, how do you practically point somebody to the word of God and say, this is where you should need to be? Great question, and uh, um, you're too kind with your comments on the teaching. But I would say, um, first thing I would do is, well, let me say it like this. I think a lot of people are, they question whether or not the Bible is what we say it is. And what I mean by that is, is it just a book in antiquity, or is it something that's actually relevant to right now? Because 2020 wasn't in the text. Yeah. So there's this thought that it's good, good moral precepts, mm-hmm. concepts, good stories, but did mm-hmm. Jonah really get yeah, swallowed yeah, by? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. so, so one yeah. of the things we have to do is say, okay, let's talk about the validity of the scripture. Because once we settle with the idea that this truly is the, from the inspiration of God and what that means, then it begins to bear authority. So if the text has authority, 
Now we can have a conversation about the necessity of that authority being real in your life right now. And so uh, when it comes to practical ways or, you know, getting right to it, I think, again, going back to the local church, we have to convince people don't trust just what I say. Trust the text. Like if, if you preach for 50 minutes and you don't lift no text. Come on, man. Then, yeah, people go trust that you're a creative speaker. Mm-hmm. You're eloquent, but you haven't given them confidence in the scripture. Right. And so um, I think we just have to remind them that this is the inspired word of God. And if we really believe God, like we talk about him, you have to know that God, who's sovereign, um, has allowed various authors to write the scripture and write in such a way that it's applicable for right now. That he he wrote him like, oh, man, he wasn't ready for COVID. Mm. Uh, this is good. This is cool, God. But you ain't know nothing about the Internet. Yeah, yeah. Like. Either he's sovereign, he's a big God, yeah, or he's not. Yeah, and if he's yeah, not, and you have yeah. a small view of God, I see why you struggle. Yeah. But if, if he's the God that we say he is, then find your confidence in the text. And anytime, listen to this, anytime some eloquent speaker, presenter of, of whatever, says something contrary to this, you have to ask, where's your trust? In that person or in the text. And I think once we do that, people build confidence in it, and it becomes a source by which uh, we guide our thinking and our minds, and uh, we move in a way that's pleasing to God. Man, well, this has been uh, absolutely amazing, man. When culture and Christianity converge, I want to thank, man, very, very special, man, our first guest on Studio B. Won't be the last, though, right? Won't be the last. Thank you, man. I can promise you it won't be the last. I hope I pass. Uh, This is uh, Pastor Lawrence Scott, Dr. Lawrence Scott. I told him that I changed his contact information in my phone to say doctor. I'm proud of this brother, man. He grinded and, and did what God laid up on his heart. Family man, man, I just love this guy uh, to the depths of my being. So thank you so much for coming. Now, I'm going to give you just a couple minutes, man, to go ahead and plug the ministry. Yeah. Go ahead and plug the ministry. Look into your camera right there. Yeah. That's my camera right here? That's your camera right there. Um, just love Jesus. <laughs> now, real talk. Find you a local church, a God-centered church that's serious about the Scripture. And get plugged in. Now, if you happen to be, <laughs> come on in here. In the south part of the town near Pearland, harvestpoint.org has all our information. You can find us there. Well, praise the Lord. So this is Studio B. I'm Pastor Holman. This is the weekly podcast. Every single week we'll be dropping brand new content in your mailbox. Go and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, IG, YouTube. Find us, lock in. Make sure you subscribe to our email list so that you won't miss one single podcast. God bless you. We'll see you next week.